Welcome to the Startup Business Q&A podcast with Richard Moore. Right, and uh, hello, welcome to Startup Business Q&A episode 171. Thanks so much, everyone, for watching. Uh, this week, it's positioning um, the poll. Poll was fun at the weekend. Uh, as usual, every weekend, I ask people, you know, what the topic should be. And I think there was one topic, uh, basics of marketing, I think it was, and uh, it was completely ignored. Like, no one was interested at all. Basics of sales came second with about what, 25% of the vote, and all the rest was uh, was this one. So exciting uh, that people are so keen on positioning. And uh, yeah, happy to get into the uh, question. So I've uh, got a really important announcement coming up soon as well uh, uh, in a minute about Entrepreneur Business Live this week, but I'm really pumped uh, about this one. This has been one of the standout topics already in terms of people's interest uh, positioning. We've had so many people asking questions to the point where I've had to colour load and just select a few, I'm afraid. So if you don't have your question answered, I apologise in advance. Uh, But thanks everyone for tuning in on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram right now. Uh, I'm just going to um, make sure I share uh, uh, a little bit of title work for um, uh, Instagram viewers, um, because of course it's important to put put all of your basics in uh, to uh, uh, your live stream as well, so people know what the hell you're talking about when they join you. So um, if you're watching live right now, then I want you to put in the comments, hashtag team live and uh, put in where you're watching from. So whereabouts you are uh, in the world. If you're watching later on, if you're on IGTV or watching the replay on any of the platforms, then do um, do add in the hashtag team replay. Um, and uh, again, where you're based in, in as well. And if you have any questions on positioning, so market positioning, uh, then uh, then do put them in the comments as well and I'll happily do my best to answer them. But let's think about the most important thing of this week is the final London uh, Entrepreneur Business Live. I'm getting my brands mixed up there. Entrepreneur Business Live, final one of the year in London. We've done nine of these events now um, at, in London alone and I'm so pumped about doing it. So we're going to be having uh, Tracy Livingston Howard, uh, who, who's actually a conflict resolution coach, worked really well with communication. Uh, she's going to be speaking. I'll be speaking as well. And also uh, my good friend George Hughes, uh, who is uh, he's ex-BBC in Tigress. He now um, runs his own um, video creation um, business. So it's very exciting to have him there too. We're all going to be talking about communication to prospects in our own different ways. So I'll be focusing very much on language you can use and how to warm them in many ways uh, online. So that'd be the area as well. If you're not part of the entrepreneur business group that supports these uh, events uh, in Facebook, then you need to join them. So you just go search for that and you can find Entrepreneur Business Group where you can join and watch the live stream of the event from 6 p.m. UK time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time now that you've caught up with your daylight savings and uh, something like 10 uh, a.m. I think it is um, uh, Pacific Coast time as well. So I hope you can join us for that. I'm really excited about doing it. Um, it's been an amazing year. We, like, we've done best part of 20 events across the last year and a bit. And uh, it'd be ni- it's nice to get back to London and do a finishing event there. Um, we've got two more after that as well. LA, which I will be announcing this week uh, at the end of the month. Also, we've got Ottawa to, to kind of cap off the year as our last event uh, in the first week of, of, um, uh, of December on the 5th. So I'll be pumped about that as well. Both will be announced really soon. I want to shout out and say hi to people who are watching. So um, Brian Durek 
Dr. Direk watching from Miami. Nice to see you here. Thank you very much. I saw you sent me a screen grab of your scheduler this morning that you'd actually scheduled in um, Startup Business Q&A. So thanks for that. Uh, Fatty Pacha 44 is here as well. And uh, numerous other other people too. So thanks very much for watching. Over on uh, Facebook, we've got uh, Steve Hotson, Brian, uh, Devin Scott, Bob Lowe is here, Wilson Patricio, uh, Laura Pendergast as well, uh, and Juan Mazaharum. Thank you very much for watching there. And uh, I haven't updated LinkedIn yet, so I'm sure it's on there somewhere. Um, but let's talk about this. This is if you are in London, or if you know someone who is in London. Then on Wednesday, it is madness to not come along to the event. We're supporting the Drive Forward Foundation. We've raised loads of money from this year and they're amazing on the work they do with care leavers. So those who are over the age of 16 in London, helping them with mentoring. I've met some of them recently and they'll be bringing some of their, uh, some of the people along as well. They call them young people along uh, to the event. I'm absolutely thrilled to be uh, helping them and serving them again uh, with donation. And there's a load of really familiar faces, but also some new ones who've already registered to attend. So if you can make it on Wednesday, 6 p.m., uh, and 15 Bishopsgate at the WeWork, as usual, uh, then do join us there. If not, you can catch the live stream um, in the Facebook group. We're live on LinkedIn as well, which is marvellous. It actually works fine. And uh, wow, there's a bunch of comments already. So let's jump in there. But positioning is our topic today. Diana, hello from, uh, to you from live from Melbourne. Positioning is our topic. Let's just be really clear about this. So positioning is essentially... The, uh, the effect uh, it ha that you can have on, on the, an audience uh, or the perception of you and or your brand and or company. So your positioning is how you create a, a kind of a, a vibe or view of you so that you are viewed in a certain way. For instance, your values, what you stand for, all of that kind of thing. And so work going into your positioning is really important because then the perception of you is is, is done correctly. And, and it's a really good word positioning because positioning you in a certain place means that people view you in a certain way. And there's a lot of psychology going into that, but I'm really pleased that some of the questions are really simple and basic we can re really get our teeth into. Um, so I've, I've actually printed here the definition, which is kind of a, 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 I kind of agree with it. It says for market positioning, referring to the process of establishing the image or identity of a brand or product so consumers perceive it in a certain way. So thinking about what I'm doing here right now, I'm positioning myself as someone who knows what he's talking about when he talks about these particular things. But there are other in more invisible ways you can um, position yourself as, for instance, an, an authority on doing live streams. If I've done 171 consecutive weeks of them, then I, I've got some experience there, for instance. And having that sense of um, how, where you place yourself and how is really important. But, but it's really good, that definition there, because it refers to the process of establishing an image. And that's really crucial. So let's dive into the questions here. If you have a question on positioning, do put them into the comments. Uh, I think Diana over in Melbourne, you're fast becoming one of my favorite people. You are literally watching on all platforms right now. So thank you. Yes, you are. You are on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook at the same time. Jerome Colombo, nice to see you on LinkedIn. E. Jude S, company owner at EPOX. 
Nice to see you there, there too. Lauren Tickner from Impact School, good to see you, Team UK. If you can make it on Wednesday, Lauren, there's no reason why you shouldn't be with us, right? So come and join us for the last hurrah of the year uh, for Entrepreneur Business Live. And uh, let's get into questions. So first question from Anthony English, fellow Australian, Diana. You probably know him quite well. Here's my question, Richard. I get the value of picking a niche, but the people I work with are so talented and curious that this is like asking them to cut off their right arm. I think by this he means um, uh, uh, picking a niche. I don't pick a niche myself, as in an industry vertical. Instead, I solve a specific problem. Do we have to pick a niche? How does this relate to positioning? It's important to pick a niche for your positioning because you need to be clear on what you're good at. And so if you're positioning yourself as an expert, for instance, or an authority or the go-to brand for your thing, then you need to be clear about what that thing, what kind of ecosystem or world that thing sits within, okay? So that's why it's important to pick a niche. Without question, remember this is startup business Q&A. So the starting point is you should pick a hyper niche. Amazon picked books, for instance, and they do a lot of other things now. You know, you can buy data services from Amazon, for instance. You can buy a whole host of other things. But books was their their start point. And I think what you understand, you've got to understand here, Anthony, is that you don't have to pick an industry niche. The problem you solve can be the niche. The problem you solve can be the niche. So, for example, if you just off the top of my head, like McDonald's, they serve everyone, right? So they don't have a niche. They kind of do. They serve the time poor people with the munchies, right? Obviously, other other reasons why people might need, uh, uh, um, you know, their food. But that time poor uh, uh, set of people needing convenience that just like there's no willpower left because they're so hungry and they will eat anything. They they serve that. That's their niche. Fine end, uh, high end or cuisine diners don't really buy into that as much because that's not what they're looking for. But the niche is. Uh, a, a set of circumstances as opposed to a demographic or an industry. And that works fine for them. So Anthony, if you solve a problem, then that's absolutely cool. I'm very similar with the engagement um, uh, consulting I do. So, and with the sales consulting, it doesn't matter on the company, it's the companies that have something to sell and they have a sales team that is not performing and they need to know how to close or position themselves and so on. That's the niche I'm operating within. It's not I'm only working with salespeople within London or within a certain type of industry because sales is sales is sales for most of them, you see. So I, I, I do feel that your niche can be the problem you solve, not necessarily a location, a demographic or an industry. So that's a really good question. Um, and there's a bounce off question from this. Uh, Katie Francis Stollard. This is the power of community on LinkedIn last night. These these uh, threads were appearing. Great topic, Richard Moore. Well, actually, it wasn't my choice. It was the it was you guys who chose uh, positioning, but a great uh, uh, nomination, perhaps for me. My question is simple, similar to Anthony's about niches. In my current field of work, I have three main niches and I go back and forth wondering if I should focus on just one of them. Yet I have clients in all three fields. What do you think is the most effective positioning strategy? Is it really always to narrow it down to one very specific niche? Look, when you start, it is wise to have a niche. If you identify you can work over here, 
and over here as well, then you may choose to evolve into those and add them on. But it's intelligent to get one working first, like with anything. If you want to build another revenue stream or another business or whatever it might be, it's intelligent to get the one in front of you working first, otherwise you'll never get anything going. There's the famous Lao Tzu impression, uh, impression? <laughs> um, um, saying, uh, which is, you know, if you chase two rabbits, you catch none. So you chase one, get one right and get the ball moving. Entrepreneur Business Live, as my set of events, has been the thing I've worked on the most this year. And next year I have another proposition, but I wouldn't go near that until these events are up, are up and running, you see. So, so in this respect, it's important to, to understand that you get one working first, then the next. If you are in a position where you have, you have three niches, Katie, but only one is actually working, then you stick on that one and, and as that improves, then you add the next. What you don't do is if you find you're not getting any leads anywhere or any clients, you don't just try and do them all at the same time. But you've written here that you have clients in all three fields, so it's intelligent to stick with all, you know, to, to work with it. It means you've lifted up slightly. You've gone up a level. You, of course, can have, um, you can also, also work in that, that initial niche you first worked in, that first set of clients. Now you've got two others and they're working, so no problem. But one thing I would make certain, uh, it, make sure of in terms of positioning, is that you draw a thread between the three types or three niches you work in. So there are different things I do um, you know, if you look at the events, if you look, I used to do run taekwondo schools. If you look at the coaching I do as well, all three actually have a thread, which is teaching. And it is helping people by giving value in certain forms. And my thing is I'm a teacher in some ways because it's, it's shown here on the live stream. So, so all of the products and all of the touch points and all of the types of content have that thread through them. So just kind of ask yourself, where does the thread lie? And make sure you're kind of um, uh, really making that bit clear or standing that part out for each of those three niches you work in. So that, that should hopefully help a bit. But sometimes we don't need to overthink it so much. If you're consistently getting clients in all three areas, Katie, then it makes sense to crack on as you are. What's the problem? But if you're finding you're not getting so much in one, so double down on those that do work. It might just be that you're getting some feedback there instead. But in terms of positioning, it is always wise to make clear to an audience what you do best. And if you may have a ability in other areas, good for you, but going on about all of those things isn't necessarily wise because um, some people have the problem of being too vague, but this is the situation where you might just have the problem of being too broad. And so then you confuse your, your audience in a different way. So if I say I do, um, you know, if I said I do photography, events management, um, content marketing, and uh, you know, two other things as well, it may be that I can do those things really well, but I've got to choose one at least to start with and let that kind of spearhead it <clears throat> because my position will be confusing otherwise. And that, that's really crucial. So clarity in terms of, of kind of nailing down on one of them. So that, that's what I would say. Obviously, don't be vague as well. Um, I saw someone this morning who had something like, um, I can't remember what is it, some, some ridiculous job title they've given themselves, like um, oh, something, something, it had the word authentic in it, which got me triggered to start with. And then it was something else. What was it? I can't remember. But it's a really irritating job title. It, didn't, it was, was it um, authentic, um, uh, authentic branding alchemist? 
Really? So it was like, that makes no sense. It's too vague. So be really clear in your job title is what I was trying to say. That's what it was. I was so wound up just looking at that. Authentic branding alchemist. It's so cute, but no one has a clue what you're talking about. So make it clear, but also pick pick one. Because imagine trying to give a job title or a sentence that covers all of these things at once. It doesn't really work. Okay. Um, So really good question there. Thank you, Katie. And it was nice to meet you recently over in Barcelona. Uh, Shout out to everyone jumping in. Nestle Pipes has joined uh, on Instagram. Lewis Levi, uh, Nerulane Shah as well, that break, bravo life. Juliana17, you are a regular. Well done. Good to see you here. Pablo, my man, from over uh, on mainland Europe, representing the only guy in Europe, I think, is here. Um, Isaac Instructor Zinn uh, and a number of others on Instagram. Zach Messler's here from Washington, D.C. Nadine Leved Langlois is watching from Ottawa. She'll be hosting Ottawa Entrepreneur Business Live on the 5th. More about that soon, uh, probably later this week. Laurie Heath Knudsen, uh, nice to see you as well, watching from Charlotte, North Carolina. Let's hop over to LinkedIn, see if there's any, any points here or, or things anyone's saying. Uh, Pablo, also watching there, nice to see you. And uh, Emily Ann Valelia, nice to see you there too. If we are talking about positioning today, if you have a question on market positioning, do pop it in the comments. If you're watching live, it's hashtag team live in your comments and write where you're watching from. Uh, Also put in hashtag team replay uh, if you're watching the replay. And the big news is on Wednesday this week at 6pm UK time, 1pm Eastern time is the final Entrepreneur Business Live London of the year. And uh, it'll be sad to end the year and not have any more here, but we'll do more next year, right? There seems to be an appetite for them. And um, we're talking about communication with prospects. It's going to be nice and tight on, on that. I think communication is going to be a really nice theme for the last three events of the year. And you can watch the live stream for free if you don't live or work in London. If you're not able to make it, you can watch it for free in the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook. So you have to go to Facebook type it into the search bar, it will be there. We have the URL groups slash entrepreneur business group. It's right there. Okay, so thank you very much in advance, everyone watching. And the live stream is going to be awesome because you get a lot of value from that. And it's nice to be sharing that all around the world every time it's on. Next question, Pablo Del Mares, because you're watching right now, positioning on the problem you solve, who you solve it for, and how, so target and niche and skills. What are your thoughts on how to combine them? You need to produce content this is as simple as it gets right you need to produce content that solves the problem that potential customers have so you need to think about how are you going to share your authority with on your ability to solve the problem your potential customers have i'm doing it right now so if my potential customers have an issue with how to do a live stream show then that's one thing. But more to, more to the point, if, it's, if it, I cover the topics that I can do well, that I work really well on, with clients on. So if someone needs help with positioning, it is an example of me manifesting what, I'm, what I know about, okay? So, so getting this right is crucial. Don't put out content just for engagement on its own. Make it related to the thing that you want to get paid for and position yourself to solve the problem and speak as though you have the right audience in front of you. So who am I trying to target? Where do they usually work? Or where do they live rather? What are their interests? How do they speak? I might be looking for a certain generation or set of people or demographic that speak in a certain way. 
right? So I need to think about the language as well. How do you therefore present yourself as an authority in that? If I was going to present myself on, as, a, as an authority on certain things, then I would need to look at things like dress, background, what I look like and things like that. I'm representing a certain set of people that are just like me. And so it makes sense to just be me. I'm not suiting up for this, right? I'm also not sitting in pajamas because it maybe doesn't suit as well. So I'm being very much as authentic as I can and focusing on the kind of people I'm trying to target and sharing value that genuine, generally solves the problems that that set of people have that I can help with. Got it? So that's how you do it. It's as simple as that. Lots and lots of that. Plus patience. Plus consistency, sure. Plus abundance, which means lots of it. You need to, you, the, the signifier of success with this part, Pablo, is getting those messages. Wow, I keep seeing you everywhere. Everywhere I look, it's you. I keep seeing your content all over the place. So the abundance means you're all over the place, but also the frequency is there as well. That part's essential because otherwise you end up with a really good message perhaps, but you're not broadcasting it well enough. And that's something to really bear in mind, okay? Um, I really believe in that. So you can you answer it for your target, your niche, your skills, by looking at what, what, what are the areas that where they might be, where might they be based, what time of day is it for them, you know, respond to that, those kind of things. But what kind of problems do they have? Solve those problems through your content. Give the value and tips and advice and hacks and all that kind of thing that solves their problems. And they like you enough, uh, they will like you enough, they'll actually get in touch to ask for more, okay? Uh, Juliana17 is asked, uh, can you combine two totally different niches, for example, doing social media for tech and wellness and health? Yes, but what you'll find is that it's better to have one to generally lean on. Because if you look at me, I have, for instance, my events, then I have my consulting. And you could argue they're very different, but they're kind of not because they, 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 they are born out of the love of business that I have. Um, I think it would be intelligent for you, for example, to, to focus on social media for tech, if that's the thing that gets you most traction. If you, in addition, have a wellness and health focus as well, then ask yourself seriously, am I doing it because I find it fun and I just think it's good, you know, it's good fun to do, or is it is it a genuinely viable route for me? Sometimes you kind of have to choose if they're worlds apart. I don't feel it genuinely is that far apart from each other if you do social media for tech, but you also do wellness and health because you could combine the two. You could use wellness and health as a way to describe how to perform effectively in tech and you're using social media. It's kind of contrived, and it, but it might be possible. So it's something to think about. But in my opinion, if they're very different, if I, you know, if I did social media for tech and floristry, they just don't meet and they don't mesh. So I kind of need to pick one. And you know, you could have other, other profiles and things like that, but have one go really hard on one. And the other thing, you know what? It might just have to be a hobby. And, and there's a lot of different opinions on this, but sometimes that's the way I look at it. Where's the common thread, as I said a bit earlier? Is there something you can draw the two together with? And if there isn't, then maybe, maybe you need to leave that one alone, okay? So that's a really good question. Let's see what's being said, oh, or who's joining in on um, LinkedIn. Good to see you over here. Thank you for watching. Francis Mordu, hope you're watching. I'll be seeing you tomorrow, which is awesome. And uh, uh, I can't read your name. Yes, I can. Leila Van Egerart, the Vlog Academy. Nice to see you as well. And uh, Laura Colombo, good to see you here too. Thank you so much for watching. 
Um, and Oliver Momeni, good to see you here. Thank you for posting the link to um, the Facebook group on LinkedIn. Maple Ting, you're here. And, uh, and lots of other wonderful comments. Thank you. So next, next question. Steve, uh, sorry, no, Laura Pendergast has asked interviews. Interviews are a great way to gain exposure as an expert. What do you recommend and why? If someone is willing to interview or wants to interview, you probably should be doing it. Um, just make sure that the podcast or interview or whatever, because, because let's be clear, <laughs> unless you hadn't realized everyone has a podcast nowadays, right? So if everyone has a podcast, you need to ask yourself like, is it actually right? So I, unless I know their podcast, I will always ask, so tell me a bit more about it. What's the demographic? Who are you kind of targeting? Because um, I need to be valuable, sure. And I need to be an expert, sure. And I need to position myself well, but like, why would the hell am I, am I on the wrong podcast? So make sure I'm on the right ones. But there's no reason why you shouldn't be trying to do them all. And if, if you're so precious that you won't do them because they have a certain amount of audience, you know, a certain number of downloads each month, then it must be you're doing so well. Chances are you're not if you're starting out, so you really should probably take them because you don't know the exposure you're gonna get. I remember joining, uh, doing a, uh, an interview uh, at the top of this year for a really, for me, unknown podcast. And I just like the response was phenomenal because the podcast was so focused, so tight on sales that I, it just was a stormer. I did so well because everyone watching, smaller the audience was, was totally focused on what I did. So the response, was, you know, you've got to think about it because it, it was such a direct hit. All of those people watching were like, this is my thing. You know, I was their chocolate. Whereas other ones are more broad, and that's cool. I get asked all the time to go into podcasts, and I'm really flattered. But some are more broad, they just want to know about people in general or people who have, you know, built their own business or whatever, which is fine. But you tend to find that you are, relatively speaking, going to get perhaps a bit more of a lukewarm audience uh, reaction because, hey, you're another person. Still, if you're going to be interviewed, you should take them. And I think what's, what's really important is that you... Um, understand you should be you should be uh, repurposing with some good micro content as well. If you're interviewed, when they post that interview, that is not the end of it. You should be taking snippets from it. Ideally, they do that for you. A good podcast or interviewer would say, and I had one earlier today, for instance, that's just gone live on Facebook, Instagram, and and on LinkedIn with with um, uh, with my friend I met from um, uh, Joel that I met from from Milan. Um, it was fascinating because his great example. Someone's gone. We've got the interview, but here are some snippets, and here are the assets, Richard, so you can use them as well. You know, you need to milk those interviews. Don't just do the interview and hope that they do all the work through distributing to their audience. Do the same as well. Hype people up because they need to hear your audience. Uh, sorry, hear your story rather. Um, save it on your website, sure, but like hype it a bit because it's a great opportunity for people to get to know you quite well. When you do the interview, it's wise to stick tight to your niche um, and make sure you answer in a way that shows you're an authority in what you do. If you're not, then you shouldn't be doing the interview in the first place. But um, interviews you need to take seriously because they're, you know, they are fun, but they're an opportunity to really position yourself as somebody who knows what they're talking about, typically in front of a new set of people, okay? So if you have that opportunity, you should take it. And it's an, I'm always looking at it as I need to be entertaining, I need to be interesting, I need to be lay, laying so much value down because it's essential that that audience is like, who's this guy? Because this is my opportunity to onboard new connections and you never know where that might take you. So um, do them all because why wouldn't you? 
um, is flattering, but also unless they're, uh, unless they're not really that relevant to you, it's crazy to not get the free distribution from them, Laura. In addition, repurpose, and you, you know, bang out the micro content as well and hype them up. And even after it's gone out, you know, try and get some more people uh, checking this out. You know, you can repost later on or something like that. Um, just make sure it's not being wasted because it's your opportunity to onboard, onboard a bunch of new connections and that's a really big deal. Uh, Gilles Tuisson, I think is your name. Gilles, 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 Guy, Guy Tuisson. It's French and I struggle. I'm sorry. Guy Tuisson, I think is your name. Team Live Europe, if you don't know yet if your customer has a real problem, is it better to get content and service out there with clear positioning and see if they buy it or is it better to make a, designs, a service design and survey interview before putting the service online? Yes, do both. You can do both at the same time uh, is a really good question actually. It makes a lot of sense to get content out and test and see how it goes. But then it's in, in addition, it's wise to do surveys as you go. Because the content acts as good gravity and as people start to come into orbit around you and check you out, they will start to stick and pay attention to you. Now you can ask them things. And what a good example uh, was, um, was on Saturday. I do this every week now. I post a, a poll to my group. Now I think I know what they want. I said, what topic do you want for Monday's live Q&A show? Basics of positioning, basics of sales, basics of marketing, I think it was. And I said, you know, here are the three options, go. And they responded. This is how I've launched products in the past. The newsletter that goes out every Monday, that goes out uh, in a few hours time. If you go to therichardmore.com forward slash newsletter, just type in your name and email and you'll get it later on today, which has a digest of the latest marketing info you need each week. It's a fantastic newsletter that the team uh, produces. Um, that was built in the same way. I'm doing a new, I'm thinking of doing a newsletter. Does that sound interesting? Yes or no? Hell yes, says everyone. Okay, here are the three, here are the three or five things that I might do in the newsletter. Does that sound interesting? Which ones do you want? I want this one, I want this one. So, and everyone's like polling and voting for the things they want. Great. So now that's how I build the newsletter. And now I've got a target list of all the people who actually want it because they've you know, voiced as such. So it's really a good idea to, to poll them and survey as you go. But if you are surveying a, a cold audience of nobody, because you're not producing any content that draws them in with gra as a sense of gravity, what are you doing? It doesn't really work. So the content, as I say, provides that gravity and gets people checking you out. When you have that kind of audience in place, it's intelligent to ask them questions. After Saturday's landslide, 76.47% it worked out to be um, um, percent uh, um, keenness for this topic. Then on Sunday, rather than me going, I'll just talk about positioning, because that would just be the Richard Moore show. Instead, I said, so, tagging you lot who voted for it, if you want this topic, what are your questions then? And lo and behold, you get not just what questions I think probably people would ask, but specifically the questions right here that you guys think you need answered. So that's the re real way to work it. It's a really good question, Guy Toussaint. <laughs> I think I said it right. Please tell me how. Give me a voice memo on how I should speak <laughs> if I'm saying your name. Uh, but that's a really good way of doing it, right? So, so um, if you just don't have a clue, but you have a general vibe about what you want to focus on, it's intelligent to start putting out content, generally speaking, in that space and see where it takes you. My first ever live Q&As, by first, I mean like the first 25 to 30 probably, were just AMAs. It would be me hopping online going, hi, uh, 
I'm I'm live. And then and then after a while, I would start polling and saying, you know, has anyone got any questions for the live Q&A? And it was niche enough uh, that it would position me as an authority in startup businesses because I was building them and helping people with them. And it was called Startup Business Q&A. I was the host, kind of is logical. But but it was made, it made more sense to, to kind of niche down each week. But it's intu intuition, okay, uh, it's intuition, it's not gi, is it? Because that, that's, that's not right, it's a gilles. <laughs> Sorry, but this is, but it was, it's intuition combined with asking. It just makes a lot of sense to do it that way. Uh, Laura Pendergast, absolutely thanks Richard, that's exactly how I've been using you, good. Uh, Safer Kaya also on Facebook. I love to scroll through Facebook on Monday and be like, oh yeah, it's Richard Moore time again, haha. -ha. If anyone makes clocks, I would love a clock one day that has the hours around the face and then at one o'clock it just says Richard Moore time. So that would be an amazing birthday present. Safer, thank you very much. I want it. I want a clock that has Richard Moore time on it. That'd be amazing. Maybe shift it all round by an hour so it says Richard Moore time at the top. Um, Patrick Ward, when you're watching this later, you'll love this bit. Um, Daniel Nunez, had a sit down with a friend of mine who is pushing me to become a political consultant. Although I have no experience in running campaigns for others, I have not yet managed one myself. Oh, sorry, although I have experience in running campaigns for others, I've not yet managed one myself. How do you position yourself on becoming a consultant worthy of charging $50 an hour consulting fee? It's, it's a really interesting one, this, um, Daniel, because the biggest hurdle with learning how to charge or, or understanding how to charge an amount you think ultimately you should probably be asking for is up here. And I'm not a life coachy, mindsetty kind of person, but without question, you have to create confidence in your price. Is that there's a thing called deal confidence, which comes from getting deals. And the simple approach is this. If I get lots of deals where people pay my fee, it validates that the, that the fee is good. My technique, Daniel, when I was when I first started consulting was every time someone bought, I charged them, I charged the next the next prospect more. So if, if person A buys at X amount, then person B, the next lead that comes along, will be charged a higher amount. So the prices keep going up. Because if someone's willing to pay that, well, why don't we test if they'll pay a bit more? And that's how I did it. So how do you position yourself? on becoming a consultant worthy of charging that much, you need to do some work first, which means you need to work for other people. And value, so worth $50 an hour, value, Daniel, is perception only. Value is a subjective thing. I am, um, I, I bought last week um, some really epic coffee from a company in the UK here called Amamals. Um, Amamas, sorry, and they are, uh, this was beautiful single uh, roast, a single bean uh, um, from Kenyan, it was only roasted on the 22nd, so not that long ago, and it's like £29 a kilo, uh, but it's beautiful coffee, and they are, that's an example of something that's so good for me, the value is all there, but it's subjective, I believe in it because coffee is my thing. Coffee was my chocolate, I was going to say. Coffee is my thing. If it was something else, I wouldn't care that much and that would seem overpriced. Likewise, if, if you can convey the point that you're really worth something by being great at it, then people will want to pay your amount. 
How with something like being a consultant? Social proof. Social proof helps a lot. And what that means is working for people and getting them to share how great you are and getting people to talk about you, getting tagged in posts all the time because you're great at that thing is really great. I, I had, uh, I had um, um, some really nice posts uh, over the weekend come out and you get them every day after a while, but, and after a while you're like, okay, nice, they're getting tagged here and there and everyone, but then you get some, it's like, wow, these people are selecting me as the guy for that thing. And I think the way you can do this is, is combine social proof, so stuff you've done for people, with content that is loud and clear that you know really what you're doing. So if you're going to become a consultant, uh, what is it, in a political consultant, Daniel, then the content you produce needs to show that to people who need a political consultant that A, you can solve their problems, and B, you know what you're talking about. Because if you don't have the answers, in say a live stream, or you don't have the answers when you express a tip or a solution across a one minute video, then you're not doing a very good job. But if you're like, here's this thing you need to know if, you're, if you need a political consultant, or if you want to make it in politics, here's three of the biggest tips you could, you could know. And those that see it will understand you know your stuff. And the more niche you get, the, the more straightforward it is to position yourself at great, as great at what you do. If I was to say, um, you know, try and position myself from, from day one, Daniel, as a, um, like uh, a guru or expert in business in general, it's not very niche at all. And so I need to really, really stand out. Whereas if I pick a particular niche within that, it can really work. So I think it's, it's exciting that you focus on, on being a political consultant, but get even deeper than that. Maybe go even more niche. In what climate, in what kind of region, um, what part of political consultancy? Are you talking about their positioning and their marketing and their, you know, their visibility? Or are you talking about the actual policies themselves? Or are you talking about how to position oneself politically? These are all rhetorical questions you need to think about the answers to. And that allows you to say, right, here's the thing I'm going to really zoom, zoom in on and focus on. And if I can get some clients, then it's a great way of validating it. So to kind of close my point out, what I would be doing is like, if I can get someone to charge me $50 an hour, which it should be very straightforward, uh, someone to pay me $50 an hour rather, I wanna share that I've done that, or at least share some of the lessons from it, and ideally get a testimonial or two. If I genuinely can't find someone who's willing to pay that, but I know I've got, I'm, I can deliver the goods, so do it for free. Do it for free, twice, in a month, you get some great results, uh, and then of course you end up with some nice responses. If you're no good, well then you don't deserve it, you're not good enough yet, or, or you need to work with a different caliber of, of, of politician, for instance. But the point with all of this is that it allows you to have things to share, to move, to position you as someone who's good at what they do. When you start then getting the gigs that are $50 an hour, then you'll end up uh, having that confidence, that deal confidence, and that will validate up here that you're worth it. Then you may think, you know what, I'm worth 100 an hour, what am I doing? And then you go up from there, for instance. $50 an hour isn't that much if you think about what you might be doing for someone. So think of also about the perception, because remember this is about perception is positioning. Think about the perception as well of um, you as a consultant if you're charging $50 an hour. Some top lawyers will charge $3,000 an hour, and that might be that they're at the very top of their game, but think about that. Like, what are you really saying about 
50, about yourself as $50 at $50 an hour. And remember that emotionally, when you're selling yourself as very good and prestigious, prestigious and, and very good at what you do, you need to remember that emotionally, buyers need you to be expensive. They actually need you to cost a bit more because it validates that you must be really good. And of course, you should be able to follow through and be good, but no one wants to buy a Ferrari for 20 grand, really. No one wants to buy a discounted Rolex, not really. What you emotionally want to do is have the validation when you're buying that elite, expensive, luxury product that actually it's worth it. So you want that Ferrari, like emotionally, obviously you don't want to spend all the money, but emotionally you want the Ferrari to be 100 Gs or whatever it is. Okay, emotionally, somebody wants a top consultant, needs them to be pricey relatively to other people because that means they must be good. Okay, so think about that as well. But so that positioning is, is crucial. But to be worthy of charging, you need to have the perception of that. Let reputation lead, social proof, great content. And it means that when you get into the, the initial conversation with that person who may pay your fees to you, Daniel, you actually get to a wonderful place where people are like, wow, I'm really excited I'm actually working with you. I, I, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm looking up to you and that's, that's essential. So hopefully that helps. It's a really good question. Thanks very much. Justin Myers on Facebook. Nice to see you here. Thank you for watching. Uh, Kushbu Nangalia, I could see here, watching from Kuala Lumpur. Uh, Carlo Costa Bezera, waving to you. Juliana17 on Instagram, great tips. The Change Manager, nice to see you here as well. Um, uh, Pablo, as uh, Pablo de Mar has, uh, has added, how do you position yourself as someone, somebody who can help professionals when you're still growing? I think I did it with Dot Lung in Digital Design Days, but I thought it would be cool to di, I think it means discuss. Okay, so how do you position yourself as someone who can help professionals when you're still growing? That's where you go super niche. You're still growing. What do you mean? You're still growing in ability. You're still growing in as a business. What's the one tiny thing you can help them with? Maybe, Pablo, you can't help someone with everything. But what's the one tiny thing you could help with? So you've mentioned Dot Lung here. She's someone who is on her A game in terms of digital marketing and presentation. She's now positioned and branded as the mother of social media dragons, right? So she's pretty epic at what she does and the perception correlates with that. So if you're starting out, you're saying, how can I help you? It might be something tiny. It might be that you, you get in front of her, you show value in the sense you say, you know what, how, how can I help in terms of distributing your stuff? Can I help in terms of um, working with you by saving you time? And one of the biggest selling points for people is time. You can say things to them like, do you know what, let me help you. Let me, let me, do this thing, this one thing for you, or let me do the scheduling, or let me do the um, help you curate your stories for you so you don't have to do it. Where can I hack for you and save you time? And that may get you the gig. And yeah, you might have to do it at a discounted price, or you have, might do it for free, but probably not. If you're saving someone time or providing something that's sufficiently good value, even if it's a very small niche thing, Pavlo, you may be in a great place. You may be in a place where they're like, oh, wow, that really saves me a lot. So I'm happy to, to pay for it. And then, then you've got a gig with Dot Lung. Then you can splash that all over the place. And that will help position you, social proof, that, um, that you're, you're worthy. And if so, then someone else will jump on you as well. Just because you're growing doesn't mean you can't be helpful. And there are plenty of people who are definitely still growing, who are in my ecosystem, who helped me, who are part of the team. And um, they may be growing 
and arguably they probably would agree not great at certain things but the one thing i'm asking to do that tight niche thing they do that really well that's all that matters okay so just bear that in mind you may feel like you're on the up still but what's the thing right at the core that kind of kernel right in the center pablo that you're so good at and even if it's just simply saving that person time, maybe that might be it. Because you get how to use Adobe Premiere, or you get how to use a particular app on an iPhone that can help produce stories for someone. Whatever it might be, it might be that that helps position you as valuable. And it could be that that's your niche to start with, you know? Some people focus on one tiny niche, such as setting up an autoresponder for a newsletter. That's their thing. And they want to one day be a social media agency, but right now that's the thing they do really well, and you grow kind of virus-like from there. So hopefully that helps. It's a really good question. Uh, Talia Sheriff, nice to see you here. Jay Russ, good to see you here. Let's, let's give some attention to uh, LinkedIn as well. Pablo, you're down there too. Good to see you. Thank you uh, very much. Um, <laughs> Jill, Jill Toussaint, thank you very much for explaining to me the useless uh, pronouncer uh, of, of names, how to say your name uh, as an Englishman. Thank you. So let's hop on to uh, next question. Uh, and um, Roxana Kruger has, has said, thanks for the question, Pablo, and for the answer, Richard. I hope that helped. Give us all a high five or a thumbs up or a heart if this is of use to you so far. Thank you very much. Uh, and put in hashtag team live if you're watching live or hashtag team replay and where you're watching from. Uh, I'd like you to also uh, put in the comments uh, one thing you're going to be doing today. One thing you're going to be doing today to help your customers. Because I think that would be a, a really good thing to put in here in case other people are watching as well. I want to start making this even more of a community. So whilst people are watching, they might see your comment pop up with, I'm going to do this. And that can really help people as well. So we'll almost make a bit of a directory. So put in the comments what you're going to do today or what you can do today to help customers. You never know who's watching and whoever who might need you. Let's do a couple more questions. Because uh, uh, of time, we need to finish soon. Um, so Daniel Nunes. He's already asked one, we'll answer this one anyway. I see a lot of people who think they can just jump on social media and become a promoter or an influencer besides what you cover in the basics of LinkedIn course available on Udemy or therichardmore.com forward slash LinkedIn. What are some actionable steps one should take in order to create a pure signal without getting too personal or overly dramatic in order to draw attention? So let's just be clear here. Some, some people want to be promoter or influencer on, on, on social media. What are some steps someone can take to create a pure signal? Pure signal is my term for talking uh, in a very focused way about the thing you do, the thing you do all the time. Rather than confusing an audience by talking about loads of random other peripheral, periphery subjects, focusing very much on the thing you do so that, that, that people get it, that that's your niche and that's your space. And it, and it positions you more as someone who knows what they're talking about without getting too personal or overly dramatic. In order to draw attention, you don't have to be overly dramatic. You gotta bear in mind that emotion generates a really strong response. The best response on, or, the, or if you want to get the most engagement online, you use emotion, it's as simple as that. So humor, things that are sad, stories, these things draw a lot from people. If I was to cry and talk about major loss in my life and then post that video, my engagement would go crazy. However, I don't want to do that. 
if I was to do my live Q&A with my two girls, who are like literally look like two angels, little blonde haired girls, if I was to have them sitting here doing the Q&A with them, I would get more engagement. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go overly emotional. You can use other types of emotion. And in fact, I know you added a bit extra here. Where does humor fall in, in creating a relatable brand? If you are tackling your, your content through an awareness of, of, um, of emotion, then you can add humor in. Two, uh, two or three great people who do this on LinkedIn, Jack Gaysford here in the UK, Andrew Helms over in LA and um, Shay Robottom over in Miami, three wonderful people for use of humor in video. They you know, satirize uh, what's going on right now. So they're very good with um, uh, kind of the subculture of, of video content and the social media and things like that. And they're leveraging humor because they've got it. If you don't really have it, you don't necessarily use it that much. The alternative is be super good and super knowledgeable at the thing you do. And it, you've got to remember that you almost want to be divisive with your audience. The more divisive you are, the more people will be wanting to either completely ignore you or really tune into you. So those things that are guilty pleasures for you on YouTube, the stuff, you know, if you can't get enough watching highlight reels of the best plays of the week on Apex Legends, that's because that thing really matters to you. And some of you watching this will be like, do what, Rich? What does that even mean? That's the point. Some of you will love that and most just don't care about it. More, more focused on niche you are, the more divisive, divisive you'll be. And, and therefore, rather than everyone being a bit lukewarm, you turn off most of people. And, but then those that stick around are like, oh my God, this guy is everything I want. They're all the detail I want. This is the tight niche I'm really into. There's a, there are YouTube channels I watch and they are so niche. The audience and communities are tiny, but they're on something that I found so fascinating. So I watch them and that audience is like stuck like glue. You moment you get that push notification that the new videos come up and you're like, can't get enough of this guy. So you get, go and watch it. Whereas most people are like, just not interested. And it's the same here really. Um, go, go really deep on what you, what you talk about frequently abundantly, so across as many platforms as possible. You need people going like, wow, he's everywhere at the moment, but constantly banging out content on the thing you do. And, you know, with patience as well, it takes time. But, you know, I talk about sales. I talk about starting a business and the intelligent common sense things to do with it. I talk about engagement and marketing. They're my things. And I've done these live streams for over three and a half years. And I do them because obviously because I love them, but also because that helps drive the point that this is what I'm focused on. You don't need to watch my content for long to be clear on what I talk about, and it shouldn't be confusing after a while. <clears throat> and so by sticking continually at doing it over and over again, you do reinforce the point about what you focus on. So yes, you can use humor and, and sadness and things like that if you want to, but you need to remember that this is gonna stick out there forever. It will always be online and it might be that you choose not to. I don't bring my daughters onto these live streams because my wife and I don't wanna share our children on social media, just our decision. And um, you know, I don't cry on camera about bad things that have happened to me because it's not my vibe. There's nothing wrong or right about it, it's just what I've chosen. And this is sufficient to be really focused on the thing that matters to me uh, and, and relates to the people I want to sell to. The rest of it, if, I'm, if, it's, if it's private, uh, personal stuff, then I keep it private and personal. So there's no problem at all. And I think, I think it's really important. 
actionable steps to be to create a pure signal is is focus on the thing you really want to nerd out about Daniel and talk abundantly about that lots and lots of lots of content if you have five tips you could share on something make it five videos each one a tip not one and share all that because you're just going to get you just want to be in people's faces all the time about your thing and if you're turning off people in their droves, no problem, because as long as you stay on that one hyper tight niche, there'll be some people that stick and can't get enough of you. And that's all that matters. I think it's Seth Godin who said something like, you only need 150 people who are like really keen on you uh, to really win. And because they will propagate your message and of course some will buy from you as well. Okay, so hopefully that helps. Uh, Nadine Langlois over on uh, Instagram has given me lots of thumbs up and things. Best show ever, she hashtagged. Finding someone to post my clients Insta, to post my to my clients on Instagram. Yes, that might be useful, for instance, as, uh, as uh, I think it was a response to Pablo's question earlier on what you can help people with. Let's do one more question before we finish. Is there anything down here on LinkedIn? You lot are watching, but not necessarily saying anything, so that's fine. Emily Ann Velia, a prospect wants what my scope of what my consulting will be, sending a focused email for him. Prospect wants what my scope of what my consulting will be. So, okay, I don't understand, sorry. <laughs> Fine, I've been working hard this morning. So let's finish on one last question. Karen Shagan Cooper, are there times that are better to post? Yes, there are. You need to be mindful of who your audience is. It's not as simple as, well, if they're in bed, asleep, don't post. It's not as simple as that. Um, you know, 70%-ish of my audience are US-based, so I'm mindful of that. Although this is on arguably the wrong time of day because Pacific time, people are like, what are you doing? We're in bed still. But in the main, what happens is I post so that it gets uh, viewed across around lunchtime for the UK uh, and most of America can watch this first thing before they go to work, 8 a.m. Eastern time. And that gives it enough kind of pump that it you know, algorithmically does well, and then the, the West Coast picks it up in the afternoon. But, um, but within that, you need to think of it to yourself, like, when am I gonna post? Well, do the, do the research. There's plenty of tools that show you how well things are performing. Wednesdays are really good in general for posts. That seems to be the case. People, are, it's called the hump day. I can't stand that term, but people have that vibe. And so what they say is, do you know what? My week, oh, I've got so much far, so far to go. Let's just check out online. And that's Monday and Tuesday are arguably weaker days to post some types of things because people are getting on with their work. Friday's a great day because people are interested in not working and checking out what's on their feed. Weekends on LinkedIn aren't great because no one's on LinkedIn on the weekend because the majority of people are business-minded still about LinkedIn and they're not at work. Whereas, uh, so it's, but the two types of people you get on LinkedIn, if you are trying to target them, are those looking for a job, they do it on the weekends, and content creators, because they post all the time. So just bear that in mind as well. There's a smaller amount of reception of your content on the weekend, for instance. But go tighter than that, Karen. Think to yourself, what do people do at certain times of day? So if I'm targeting, for instance, the UK, then I'll be thinking like, what are they doing first thing in the morning? When do people scroll through their news feeds, for instance? When they're on their way to work? If they're on a train commuting at 8 a.m., that's when they need to see it. If they are, I mean, the first thing they do when they get out of bed, so like a 7 a.m. post, when they get out of bed, they wake up, they roll over to pick up their phone uh, and check that. Lunchtime or just before lunchtime, people getting bored of work, lunchtime's coming up, oh, I'll just check my phone, there's something there. End of the day as well. 
later at night. What are people doing at nine o'clock at night? <clears throat> Everyone is sitting watching telly, unless they're a content creator. They're sitting watching telly and um, they're watching telly. And when there is an advert, well, most people watch TV with their phone in their hand because unless it's gripping them, <laughs> they're like, what's going on over here? And so that's a good time to post as well. So what you should be thinking about that. And what you can do is reflect that in when you're po in, in the posts themselves. So if it's a breakfast time one, you might want to say for breakfast this morning and then post something. But I don't think you need to go too deep on it. But thinking about time today when you post um, middle of the morning for a group of people that you're trying to target a particular demographic doesn't always work because they're kind of working. It's not hard and fast truth, but it's important to bear in mind. But I, I always try to, I, I always post at 10 o'clock at night, for instance, on LinkedIn, because I know that's going to pick up um, uh, the stragglers here in the UK and probably a fair amount of people because no one goes to bed at 10 o'clock these days. They're kind of, they're up, they're up, the people I'm trying to target. And then all of the US, they're picking it up as well. And that boosts it enough that the next day I, I keep, it keeps kind of rolling over as well. So that's something to bear in mind. So there are times that are better to post. You should look at your uh, insights. If you have a group, for instance, on, on um, Facebook, it tells you the days of the week. I know that Wednesday works really well. And that's kind of a, um, an unwritten rule anyway. Like when you should post it as much as you can, sure. But Wednesdays are like your big day. You always tend to get response. So if there's gonna be a day you miss, don't let it be Wednesday, for instance. I think typically I tend to find them, it's, in, it's difficult because everyone has different mindsets, but the view generally is Monday, people don't want to be back at work, so they check their, their work. So they check their, their, their content, they check content on, plat, on social platforms. Tuesday, people are kind of in the groove and getting on with their work. So Tuesday is often your lower day for engagement. Wednesday is your hump day, if you must, that where people are checking it out. Thursday and Friday, it's run down to weekend. It's weekend time, weekend, weekend, focus on stuff other than work. And that's a cynical view of the, uh, of the workforce of the world, but it's people, and that's often how people work. So that's how I would look at it. Um, I'm gonna finish there. I really hope that if you're in London, I get to see you on Wednesday on Entrepreneur Business Live's final event of the year in London at 6 p.m. Uh, at uh, WeWork 15 Bishopsgate. More details are on my website, therichardmore.com. Or if you're not in London, I really hope you come to watch the live stream for free in the Entrepreneur Business Group. Just join the group. We start, look, up, look it up on the search bar on Facebook. Join the group and you can sign up. So thank you very much, everyone who's watched, like so many of you all over the platform. It's been wonderful to see you all here. I really, really appreciate it. Have a marvellous day. I will see you on the live stream on Wednesday when we're talking about communicating with your prospects. So I'll be there talking. Um, uh, Tracy Livingston Har uh, Howard will be there and also George Hughes as well. We're sponsored by Wave, sponsored by Subtitle and donating to the marvellous Drive Forward Foundation. So thanks so much to all of you. In the meantime, have a great day. I'll finish there um, on, um, on LinkedIn if I can find my mouse. And I will also finish on Instagram. See you all soon and take care. Facebook. Bye-bye.